Volume One, Chapter Eleven of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume One, Chapter Eleven celestina in the meantime became better reconciled to the plan of life she had adopted and after being near a week at her new abode during which time she heard nothing either of willoughby or his sister she wrote to the latter as follows my dear mrs molyneux will be glad to hear that her wandering friend is settled contently if not happily in her new abode and has already subdued her mind to her fortune so much as to regret only the society of those she has been so long accustomed to love and by no means the scenes in which she has left them my habitation is the house of a man who was formerly master of a coasting vessel in which occupation having made money enough to support himself and his wife in their old age and all his children being married and provided for he built this house a few miles from the port where he used to trade their only servant is a mere west country perian who does the business which the good old woman herself is unequal to whose not frequent but somewhat loud and shrill recompenses to jenny when she is careless or neglectful are the only sounds i ever hear to remind me that there are such things as anger or contention in the world the scene around me is now dreary enough but in a few weeks spring will produce new pleasures for me and i shall hail the first primrose with as much delight as i can feel from anything but from that most welcome sight the face of an old friend my dear matilda you pity i know the merely negative life i have chosen enliven it then sometimes by your kind recollection and find time now and then to write me if it be only to say you are well your brother's marriage may at this period occupy you yet i hope you will not even now forget me nor fail to recollect the tender interest which must ever exist for your happiness and that all of you love in the grateful heart of your affectionate celestina de mornay february seventh seventeen hundred this letter arrived a day after willoughby's abrupt departure between the continual and unceasing hurry in which she lived and her vexation at that event she hardly read it but threw it carelessly by on her toilet where it remained forgotten like the writer of it on the day willoughby had dined and supped in grosvenor street the whole family had been much dissatisfied with his conduct except his uncle who retaining much of form and ceremony in his own manners was willing to impute his coldness to respect and his distant civility to veneration 
but the mother and daughter were by no means content with his deportment and though they concealed their feelings as it were by mutual consent their pride was equally alarmed and both resolved to have an early explanation lady castlenorth however whose policy only had power to restrain a while the ebullitions of her wounded pride waited one day in hopes that willoughby would in a family conference testify more ardour for the match than he had done in mixed company but willoughby never appeared and her indignation now knowing no bounds she ordered her coach and on the next stalked with more than usual majesty into the dressing-room of mrs molyneux just as she had finished her breakfast which was owing to the hour on which she went to bed the preceding morning even later than usual lady castlenorth hardly spoke to mrs molyneux when she entered but demanded in imperious tone what was become of mr willoughby the lady to whom she thus abruptly addressed herself was as haughty and of as high consequence in her own estimation as lady castlenorth herself and feeling and resenting her rude and peremptory style she answered with almost as little compliance in her manner that she knew not you don't know madame exclaimed the imperious vicomtesse you don't know very extraordinary surely what am i to understand from all of this of that also i am ignorant replied mrs molyneux mr willoughby madame is his own master and i really cannot more account for than direct his actions astonishing reassumed lady castlenorth that a man situated as he is who is not an absolute idiot should he have in this manner in an affair on which his very existence as a man of fashion depends but don't imagine mistress molyneux that my daughter dear madame interrupted matilda irritated by the supercilious insolent tone in which her ladyship spoke and particularly the emphasis she put on the word mistress i beg and entreat that you will spare your anger i at least cannot deserve it for i have no influence over my brother i dare say he has some reasons for having left london so abruptly though i assure you i do not know them you don't i do he has gone after that creature whom your mother to her utter disgrace brought up in the family and with whom she suffered her son to live in habits of intimacy which shock me every time i think of it at this moment mr molyneux entered with a letter in his hand and hardly in his haste noticing lady castlenorth he told his wife that the letter was that instant delivered to him by an express that his father was dying and they must immediately set out for ireland at his earnest entreaty hasten therefore said he to prepare yourself for the chaise i have sent for will be at the door in a moment your ladyship will excuse us i am sure on such an occasion 
added he, addressing himself to Lady Castlenorth. Matilda, we have not a moment to lose. Direct your maid to prepare what you want to take with you, and follow herself with the baggage that may not be so immediately necessary. And where is Willoughby? cried Lady Castlenorth, raising her voice. I insist upon seeing him. I believe he has left London, answered Molyneux, but I assure you I know not whither he is gone. I dare say your ladyship will soon hear of him. In the meantime, pray pardon me, it is impossible for me now to have the honour of attending you. He then left the room, as his wife had done already, and Lady Castlenorth, bursting with anger and indignation, which she had nobody to listen to, returned in all the fury of mortified pride to her own house. While she was there meditating how to revenge the neglect shrewn to her daughter, of which she was no longer doubted, Willoughby was pouring out all the distresses of his heart to a friend whom heaven seemed to have sent him for their alleviation. Mr. Vazor, his most intimate friend, had been absent when he left Cambridge on his hasty and reluctant journey to London, but was now returned, and to him Willoughby immediately disclosed the cause of that uneasiness which his friend perceived he suffered under even before he spoke. "'What shall I do?' said he, as he leaned on the table. "'How extradite myself from the most unsupportable of engagements? How satisfy the narrow and unfeeling Molyneux? My soul revolts from the odious necessity of being obliged to him for forbearance, yet to sell my estates is more painful to me than my any measure but marrying Miss Fitzhaman. Yet my promise, my assurances to my mother, I see not how I can escape from the difficulties that encompass me. You make more of them surely, my dear George, replied Vassover, than is necessary. What? Should either a promise or an exigence compel you to be miserable for life? then indeed there would be no escape. But now, surely, my friend, your escape is not difficult. Were you situated as I am then, how would you act? Why, I would without hesitation declare off with the woman I did not like, and marry the woman I did, that is, if I were disposed to marry at all. And would you do this, Vazover, contrary to solemn promise given to her who cannot now release me from it? And, then, how can I act in regard to Molyneux? Be the consequence what it will, he shall never again done me for money, and— Never, interrupted Vazover warmly, if you will listen to me. I am not quite of age, it is true, but my fortune is such— that nothing is easier than for me to raise this paltry five thousand pounds, or twice the sum, on no very exorbitant terms. I have already taken up money for my own pleasures, and shall I hesitate when my friend has real occasion for it? In a week's time the money shall be ready for you. 
pray then let us hear no more of any difficulties of that sort and as for your promise the good lady when she extorted it could never think it binding speak not lightly of her my dear friend cried willoughby that i may feel all the kindness of the former part of your speech without alloy she was a woman whom had you known you would have reverenced and loved and it was in kindness only that she made me give her an engagement to make yourself miserable i am you know george an epicurean you are somewhat of a stoic i suppose and if that is the case fulfil your promise take your harris and philosophize at your leisure i have never seen your celestina you know but from your description of her and your long attachment i should pity you i am afraid i should despise you i am sure i should not love you were you to sacrifice such a creature to any pecuniary considerations come my dear fellow assure yourself that if five thousand pounds or more will relieve you from what weighs on your spirits about molyneux's matter it is yours the other affair you must settle with your own heart and i leave you to argue it together Vesuvier then quitted the room and willoughby released from his anxiety about his debt by the generosity of his friend gave himself up to all those pleasant images which presented themselves to his mind to be united immediately with celestina to carry her down to alvanstone and there to enter on a plan of economy which should in a very few years retrieve his circumstances was a vision which he found so much delight in cherishing that he drove from his mind as much as possible the painful objections that still cruelly intruded themselves to destroy it the conversation of vassivur helped to put them entirely to flight and willoughby persuaded that by the projects of economy he had formed he should soon be enabled to pay his friend the money so generously offered him agreed without much hesitation to accept it the young men then settled that they would go the next day but one to london stay there long enough to negotiate this business and then go down together to elvenstone from whence willoughby who had no inclination to encounter lady Castlenorth personally determined to write to his uncle resigning all pretensions to the honour intended him and immediately to complete his marriage with her who had so long been mistress of his heart this arrangement once made became every moment more seducing to his imagination still the words of his mother the solemn charge given him with her last breath returned now and then to disturb his visionary felicity but celestina always so lovely in his eyes leaning on his arm amid the shades of alvanstone the delight of all who beheld her the admiration of his friends the patroness of his tenants the protection of the poor was an image so deliciously soothing to his fancy that by indulging 
it he at length persuaded himself that his mother who had so very tenderly loved her would could she be sensible of all the happiness they should share together applaud his violation of his promise and sanction his choice vasover gay generous open-hearted and volatile always eagerly following himself his own inclinations and warmly solicitous for his friend's gratification as his own encouraged as much as possible all tendency in willoughby to throw off any adherence to what he deemed tyranny beyond the grave and by the time the negotiation for the loan was completed which took them up near a week willoughby had no longer any scruples remaining his only business in town then was to pay molyneux whose conduct had offended him so much that he had not been to the house as soon however as the money was ready he wrote a note to his brother-in-law signifying that he would on the next day meet him at his attorney's chambers to settle all accounts between them the servant who was sent brought the note back and willoughby then first learning that his sister and her husband were embarked for ireland deposited the money at a banker's and wrote a cold letter to molyneux signifying that he waited his orders he then gave directions to his own solicitor to take proper receipts on the payment of it and with vassifer hastened down to alvinstone in the neighborhood of which place he knew celestina was but he had determined not to see her till he had obviated every objection she could make to his plan of happiness by breaking at once and for ever with the castle norse a task on which resolved as he was to execute it he could not think without a mixture of concern and apprehension that he was ashamed of feeling and dared by no means betray to his friend vassifer who without knowing anything of the castle norse himself had made up his mind that they were an odious and disagreeable set and from such whatever might be their rank he always flew away himself and encouraged his friends to do it at whatever risk if he was careless and even rude towards those whom he did not wish to please he was altogether as amiable and attentive to those to whom he sought to be acceptable his dislikes and his attachments were equally warm and the latter had hitherto been rather warm than permanent end of volume one chapter eleven recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c